Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see everybody, and uh, thank you all for coming and, and worshiping with us today at Grace Family Fellowship. It means a lot. Uh, I just want you to know that, that when you are here, you, you are family. You have a family here at Grace Family. If you're visiting with us, uh, we, we just want to serve the Lord together. We want to know his truth. We want to walk by his truth. We want to love each other and show each other grace. Uh, that's what God has called us to do. And so uh, we're glad you're all with us today. Uh, we're going to continue looking in Ephesians chapter 5. And last week, you know, we asked, who is your mirror? Who is it that we're looking to, to copy in life? Because he said we're to be imitators of God as beloved children and to live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So we have an example that is placed out there before us of Jesus Christ in his life, in his love, <clears throat> as the goal of what we are to do. And so Paul continues developing then what that looks like. Because he's told us that there are certain things that we need to just look completely away from, that there doesn't need to be any immorality, no idolatry, no covetousness, and it's because it's out of place. He says it's out of place for God's people. And so he's now told us the things that are out of place. Now he turns the corner to tell us what is it we're to do. What does it look like to be imitators of God? Well, that's what he's going to look at. And he calls us by a name in the section. He calls us children of light. Don't you love that description? Children of light. You know, John said that he is the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness, no, no shadow, no shifting. There is only pure light, that which is good and right and true in God. And then 1 John tells us he is the father of lights, and that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from him. And so we have this theme developed, you know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who walks in me will not walk in darkness. And so now Paul calls us children of light. What does it mean to be a child of light? If you had to describe yourself to somebody, could you use the phrase, I am a child of light? Now that would probably get you some strange looks, wouldn't it? And you know what? I think that's the point. God wants us to be strange in this world. He wants us to use a vocabulary that's going to get people's attention. He wants us on display in this world. Now think about that. How many of us, let's just be honest, how many of us kind of, you know, when there's a crowd, we just like to blend in? You know what God said? He said, no, y'all, you don't get to blend in. You may blend in at church, but when you're out in the world, you don't get to blend in you're going to stick out because you are a child of light. And so wherever you go, that light should be visible. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine so that people will see it. Let your light shine. So what does it mean to be children of light? Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. If you have your Bible, if you don't, it will be on the screen. But in Ephesians 5, 7 through 14, it says, Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time 
You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now what Paul is describing right here is really our heritage as Christians, who we are. And so I want to ask, who, what, what is your heritage as a Christian? What is your heritage? You know, heritage makes a difference. For, for some of you in here, your family has been a Christian family, and, and you're continuing a wonderful tradition of belief and, and love in the Lord. And you look back on your parents and grandparents and even great-grandparents and say, you know what? They, they all went to this church, and I'm just continuing the family tradition of, of walking with the Lord, and that is a wonderful thing. And some of you in here, you're a first-generation Christian in your family, or you're the first one to actually walk with Christ and, and, and pay the price for that of breaking cycles in a family and, and, and step out in faith, and you know what? That's also wonderful. That is a wonderful thing. It takes incredible strength to do that. And, and so where, where some would look and say, I have this long heritage, some of you are setting that heritage in place, saying, I will be the start. My kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids will know about the faith that I had. I will start the heritage now. But it is important. What is your heritage? Because I remember reading a story about a, uh, a young man whose father passed away while he was quite young uh, so that he didn't have a whole lot of a memory of his dad. And then after a few years, his mom remarried, and she married a man who was not a believer. And he was also a pretty grouchy individual and wasn't keen on children. And so this, this young man grew uh, uh, and experienced his stepdad just telling him things like kids are a waste of time and you're just a waste of money and, you know, I'll be glad when you're gone. And I mean, just kind of this constant barrage of basically he's worthless and, and he doesn't want him to be around. And obviously when he got into his early 20s, he was having a bit of an identity crisis. What am I to do in this world? Who am I? What is my place? And then one day he was at his mom's house. And he was going through some things, and he found some articles and some items of his father's. And what he found out was that his father had been a very active missionary and had lived a life of faith. And he started following that thread and going back and contacting people that he noticed in, in churches where he had spoken and things that he had done. And, and a picture began to emerge of a man who really had a, a heart for God and a love for people. And suddenly this young man thought, that's who I want to be. That makes sense in life. That's who I am. That's my 
heritage. And suddenly he went from believing that he was a waste of time to finding himself in Jesus Christ and became a force for God's kingdom. You see, what we understand about ourselves and who we are in the Lord is important. Satan wants everybody to believe that God can't use them, that God won't use them. You've messed up too badly. You're not smart enough. You're not outgoing enough. You're not talented enough. You're whatever. Satan wants people to believe that. And you know what God says? God says, I don't need any of that. I just need you. I just want your heart, and I can, and I will use you. But within that, we have to understand <clears throat> who we are. Because once we understand our heritage in the Lord, that we are, in fact, of the line of Abraham, <clears throat> and are continuing the family theme of faithfulness in a dark world, we'll find strength. When you read the Old Testament, and you see the miracles and the prophets, and you read about the remnant who refused to bend the knee to Baal, and you have refused to bend the knee to the world, and you follow in faith, you are following in that very same tradition. That's your heritage. When you read the New Testament, and you read about John and Peter being whipped and flogged, and they say, do not speak in the, in, about the name of Jesus, and they say, hey, you judge for yourself whether it's right to obey men or obey God. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. You, if you're bearing witness to Christ, are continuing that very same heritage. You are celebrating who you are. Because who are we in Christ? Listen to this description we get in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, how many of you think of yourselves in those terms? When you think of yourself, is that the first thing you think of? That because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I am part of a chosen race. I am part of a royal priesthood. A kingly priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Because when we understand who we are, then we understand what we're supposed to do. And what are we supposed to do? He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to live a life in service to God that glorifies him at every single turn. To proclaim his excellencies. To proclaim the good things about God. This is who we are and it is what we do. We are not meant to fit into this world. We are meant to shine brightly and to draw attention to God. And so Paul says it this way. Look back in Ephesians now. He says, therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So he gives us three things here that we are to do. That this is to be what our life is about. Okay, this isn't just poetic. This isn't just 
just him proclaiming greatness and then we just go on. He, he gave us specific things to do. First, we are to be separate from the world. And I cannot overemphasize this. We are not to be of the world. We live in the world, but we are not to be of the world. What do I mean by that? That means that we shouldn't think like the world, act like the world, value what the world values, and, and chase after what the world chases after. We should be different. We should chase after God. We should chase after what is right and good and true. We should not fit in with this world. And it reminds me, as, as I think about this, when he says, do not be partners with them. He's not saying that we should hate everybody outside these doors. That's not what he's saying. What did he say? He says, don't be partners with them. Don't let your life sync up so well with the world that you're, you're indistinguishable from, the, you know, your Christianity in the world outside. Don't partner with them. Be among them, but not of them. And yes, be among them. God, nowhere did he tell us, hey, don't ever have contact with the lost or the world. How else are we to bear witness and share the excellencies of him who called us? He just says don't partner with them. Don't link your life to the things of this world. And you know what? It reminds me, <clears throat> makes me think we're, we're a lot like whales in the ocean. How many of you ever thought about that? We're like whales. You know why? Because whales live in the ocean, but they're not of the ocean. You know why? Because they breathe air. And so they have to come up for air over and over and over again. You know the number one reason whales die? They drown. They get so weak, something happens, either age or, or sickness or something, and they get so weak they can't surface again. And they drown in the water. And Christians are like those whales. We live in the world, but we are not of the world. And we have to learn how to come up for air. The more time we spend in the world, we, we got to learn how to come back up for air and hear from our God and be refreshed. Now, all of you are here on a Sunday morning, so you kind of get that. That's why you're here. We come up for air. We worship God. We spend time in the Word. But then we do. we got to go back to jobs. we got to go back to our lives. we got to go back out into the world. And that's okay. God wants you there. But just don't forget, that's not where you belong. You don't belong to the world. You belong to God. And so if all we're doing is taking in the world, eventually we're going to drown. We have to come back up for air. Second, we are to walk, he says, as children of light. And he says, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Walk as children of light. Focus your life on what is good, on what is right, and what is true. Now, how do we know those three things? We have to learn it. We have to learn it through the Word of God. We have to learn it through the people of God. We have to learn it through the Spirit of God. All of those will work together. God will work through all three of those to teach us what is good and what is right and what is true. But it is up to us to learn it. God is not, <clears throat> excuse me, God is not going to force us. 
to learn it. If we want to know it, <clears throat> what did he say? He said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You will, it's there. God has given it to us. But we have to put forth the effort. And it makes me think of the apprentice that gets to study with the master. The, the, it can be such a privileged pos position for an apprentice to, to study for years under somebody that's accomplished, right? An, an artisan or a, or a craftsman of some kind or, or, or whatever, a musician, to, to get to sit at their feet, to learn, to study their method and to learn it. But ultimately, the apprentice is responsible for what, though? Learning. If they don't learn what the master teaches, the time is wasted. And many times the apprentice or the master at that point will get a new apprentice. Just says, look, if you're just going to waste our time, I'll find somebody that wants to learn. And so many times I really believe that people are like, God, use me, use me. And he says, okay, I need you to learn some things so I can use you. And you're like, but God, just use me. And God's like, if you're not going to learn, I can't use you. And it's not that I need you to be smarter or anything, but you've got to know my ways. If you want to go out and tell people about me, you've got to know me. You have to listen. You've got to learn. And we have been called to do that. And so we are to commit ourselves as children of light to the family business. It's up to us to learn it. And so this is us now. We are called to live lives that are distinctively different than the unbelieving world. It's going to upset people. Unbelievers aren't going to like it. That's okay. We have to expect that. Why? What did Jesus say? He says, hey, if the world hates you, know it hated me first. And a student is not above his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So when Jesus gives us such clear, clear instruction, it's up to us to say, okay, I know what I'm getting into. There's going to be opposition. We are called to walk as children of light. Which means, yes, we're going to shine that light wherever we go. In everything that we do. And then third, we are to, he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't you like that? Try to discern. Even here, Paul knows we're not going to get it right all the time. He says, but you got to put the effort in. Try to discern. What is discernment? It's the ability to know one thing from another. Even when they're confusing, even when they look similar, it's the ability to know the difference between real gold and fool's gold. It's the ability to know the difference between a masterpiece work of art and a cheap knockoff. That's discernment. And he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, the biblical understanding of discernment is this. It is to put to test and to examine. Put it to the test. If you know something is authentic, then you know what makes it authentic, and you know how to test it to see if it is. And I'll give you an example. In the British Museum, there are several artifacts throughout that museum that prove the veracity of the Bible. Historical artifacts 
that date to the right period that mention the people of the Bible, that mention the Israelite people, that mention the kingdom of the Hebrews, that mention the, the Israelite kings. And so that's how people can discern the truth of did the people of the Bible actually exist? Well, yes, when you find other historical things from the same time period that the Bible says, and you read it and it says, hey, this was king so-and-so. And you're like, look, the Bible says they coexisted at the same time. And this one mentions it. Look, they obviously existed. Those without a sense of discernment will say, well, we just don't know if any of this really happened because they aren't willing to look into the truth. But when we do look into the truth, the Bible is confirmed over and over and over again. And so God is going to require us to put in that, that time to require that we test and examine the paths and the options before us in life. And we have to see if they align with what is good, what is right, and what is true. We all make, op we, we all make decisions every day. Some of them are inconsequential. Some of them carry tremendous weight. And we have to ask ourselves, is what I am doing and what I am choosing aligning with the truth? Is it aligning with what is good? And is it aligning with what is right? Well, how do we know what is good and right and true? God has given it to us here. And no, he didn't just give us a list and say, here's all the stuff. You just need to make sure you check these boxes. He wants our heart because what is good and right and true is oftentimes a little more complex than just this or this. And that's why Jesus, they had such a hard time understanding Jesus while he was there because they had reduced everything down to a simple yes or no box. And Jesus came in and said, no, that's not how this works. I want your heart and I want you to love people. And so loving them is going to look different in different situations, and we're going to get into that next week where he says, make the best use of your time. Live as wise, not unwise, but we're not, we're not there yet. That's next week. This week, he just says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Test and examine it so that we are no longer, as Paul has already said, children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. When somebody presents us with something that they're saying, God said this, we can weigh it against Scripture and find out whether or not it's true. Because God has given us everything necessary for life and godliness. It's all available. And so spiritual maturity, being effective in our Christian walk, is about being able to test and approve what is the will of God in the midst of noise and chaos about knowing what true faith is when we're surrounded by false faith. God will give us that. And so, the three things. We're to be separate from the world, we're to walk as children of light, and we are to put in the work to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, to understand it. As children of the light, this is our calling. Now notice, it didn't say how you had to do that. Because God has given each one of us different gifts, different callings in life. And so what you do for a living doesn't have to look like a certain thing other than can you glorify God with it? Are you doing what's right? And is it committed to the truth? Can you be a merchant who sells things who is committed to what is right, good, and true? Yes. Can you be 
a pornography distributor and be committed to what is good and right and true. No. There are certain things in the world that you just cannot mix with the things of God. But you know, those things are pretty easy to discern. Which means why we get to what Paul says in Colossians. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is. God gives us so many choices in life that he's like, hey, it's up to you. You go do it. It's okay. Just make sure that you can glorify God with it and that it is committed to what is good and right and true. If you do those things, you won't fail. You will please God. And then he tells us something amazing. And he really does. He, he says, this is our calling but what we're going to run into as we follow God, and every Christian knows this if they're walking with God at all, is we're going to encounter those moments where our own darkness shows up, right? Because we're sinful. Who in here is sinful? Y'all better raise your hand. <laughs> Buddy, back here like, no, that's not me. We, we will encounter our own darkness along the way. What are we to do with that? What are we to do when we find something within ourselves that is not good and right and true? What's the human thing to do? Hide it, cover it up, pretend it's not there? If we're walking with God, then yes, that if we know God, that's typically our first thing to try to do is just like, ooh, ooh let's just shove that over there and just pretend it never existed and, and act like it doesn't. And I'll do all this other stuff to try to distract myself from it and everybody else because that, that's ugly. I don't like it. God doesn't like it. And it needs to just not be there. The only problem is when we do that, what happens? God has a way of coming along and saying, hey, where are you? Why are you hiding? Did you eat from the tree? Bet you did, didn't you? See, that's what Adam and Eve did. As soon as they did that and their eyes were open and they hear God come, they try to hide from him. And it's what we do as people. But let me tell you, there's good news in this. Because Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. And so things are different now. Okay, things are very different. And so listen to what Paul says in verses 11 through 14. He's, because what he's going to do is turn darkness into light. Okay, he's going to turn darkness into light. It's not just removing the darkness it's actually taking that darkness within you and turning it into something good. And this is where we get it wrong because we think, God, just take that away from me. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that is like so connected to who you are that I'm going to take it and I'm just going to redeem it and I'm going to turn it into something good. But in order for that to happen, it can't be hidden. It can't just be suppressed and, and ignored it has to be brought into the light. So listen to what he says. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Now that is repentance. We have to recognize it for what it is and commit ourselves to the fight against it. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And here it is, for anything that becomes visible is light. Wait a minute, that's transformation that he's talking about right there. 
He just said, have nothing to do with unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them because anything that becomes visible becomes light. It goes from darkness to light. This is a supernatural, God-powered transformation that happens within a person. And so we're going to go through this, and, and I hope you stay with me on this, because this, some of you are going to find some real freedom in this when you understand it. But it's also going to take courage. Okay, this, is, this, this takes courage. So he, again, he emphasizes removing the old self and literally divorcing ourselves from the darkness. But he also tells us something interesting that many Christians need to understand better. He tells us don't fixate on the darkness. Simply bring the darkness into the light. See, too many Christians, they have find that darkness, and so then that's, that consumes them. They're like, i got to beat this. i got to get free. And, and he says, no, it's shameful to even talk about what they do in secret. He's like, don't let the darkness that's there consume you so that you become fixated on it. Just simply bring it to God and let him redeem it. Let him turn it into something good. So don't make searching for darkness your goal. When it shows up, bring it to God. And so, when God redeems it, he turns it from darkness to light. And here's the example of that in Paul's life, okay? The Apostle Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul understands the process here. And he's like, when that darkness appears... I'm taking it to God because when, when I do that, God will bring something good from it. So Paul knew the power of God firsthand and knew whatever he brought into the light, honestly brought to the light, would be made light. Now some of y'all are getting worried right now because you see where this is going and you're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't think I like where this is headed. But listen, this is the path to freedom. Okay? It is in those weaknesses that God's power becomes manifest and God is glorified. When people say, God, I want your power in my life, you know what the first thing he's going to do is he's going to start rooting out darkness. And he's going to start convicting us and he's going to tell us to bring those things into the light and stop hiding them so that he can transform them into something else. And so we do it first by remembering the gospel. We have to remember the gospel first. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins, all of our sins. If our sins are forgiven, all of them, if Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was effective for all the sins of mankind, then that means when God wants to expose darkness within us, it is not because he's mad at you and wants to punish you. You know why? Because he sent all that punishment out on, on him. Now, will he discipline us? Yes. He will absolutely discipline us as a father does his children to correct us, to train us in righteousness, to be the people he wants us to be. But it is not in condemnation. Okay, so Romans 8.1, we have to remember this. Step one, remember the gospel and remember there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
We have to remember that because otherwise sin will weigh us down so hard that we'll think we got to avoid it because something bad's going to happen. Because if I dare confess this, God's going to find out or maybe even people find out. And now I'm, I'm going to be ruined. But you know what? God said, no, you won't be ruined because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God isn't just waiting to destroy you because of your sin. He's waiting to free you from your sin. But we have to bring it to him. Second, we need to understand that nobody's sin is unique. I'm sorry, you're not better at it than anyone else. You aren't the only one to struggle with your sin. And I know we hear that all the time. But listen, one of the things that Satan wants to do is to convince people that nobody else will understand then nobody else has walked this path. And that's just not true. One, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. So whatever you're struggling with, Jesus endured it and conquered it. He endured that sin, though. He felt the full weight of that temptation and told it no, which means he knows the path through. Okay, he knows how to help you. And that's the point is that nobody's sin, we, we all struggle literally in universal ways. And we got to stop thinking that our sin is special. Okay, it's not. And here's how Paul puts that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Common. So whatever in your heart you're ashamed of and you want to hide and you want to shove away, guess what? Somebody else in this room struggling with it. I mean that. And probably a lot of someones. Probably everyone. And if it's not that particular sin, it's another one. And, it, and it, you know, it would, you know, I've always wondered if, if, if God just really just kind of laid everything bare, how many of us would like group up? It's like, oh, this is our group. Okay. <laughs> oh, you know, pride's over there. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and we just, we, we'd probably just huddle up along our, our, own, our own struggles. But the point is that there's nothing unique about it. Sin is universal. And so, what do we do about that? Well, here it is. We have to learn to confess. The opposite of hiding and covering up is confession. And I realize that that's not a popular thing. And that that's scary that that is personal, that that is being way more exposed and vulnerable than anybody's comfortable with. And yet, there's a promise to it. Listen to James 5.16. This may be one of the most ignored verses in the Bible, and I'm not kidding. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When's the last time you confessed a genuine darkness, struggle with darkness, to another Christian to ask them to pray for you? See, this is why it's so easy for us to just kind of stay shallow. You know, I'm good, I'm good. We don't want to get into too deep. 
But that's also why we don't feel the power of God so much because we aren't actually waging spiritual warfare against darkness. We're just hoping that we're waging some kind of war against an unseen enemy out there. Those people. That evil. And not the evil that lives in our own heart. And let me tell you something. Spiritual warfare begins right here. You want to win? You got to stop hiding. Now, I'm not saying you got to get a megaphone and go out here on 7 and announce it to the world. Okay, notice what James says. He says to one another, we're within the church with a trusted brother or sister. And this is, this is one of my dreams, and I mean this for a church. Okay, if you are going to, Pin me down on the things that I absolutely would just love to see happen in a church. And, and the way a church should be is that a church should always be a place that is safe enough for a person to confess their sin. You know what that means, though? There cannot be any gossip. There cannot be any self-righteousness. There cannot be a judgmental attitude. And grace and righteousness and holiness must prevail. And there has to be a commitment to it, too. Because you know what? I've been in places where they were all about grace, but really all it was was let's all just accept each other's sin and never hold each other accountable. There was no requirement to move beyond it. And so they were really proud of how willing they were to accept. And I'm like, but who's growing? you got to get better. James said here that you may be healed. If, if you're just wallowing in sin together, that doesn't help. That's, that's just celebrating it. Hiding it and celebrating it are the same thing. It's that healing that has to take place. And I honestly believe this is what our small groups ultimately must become. Okay, small group leaders, small group participants. This is what our small groups must become in time. Now, trust takes time, right? Amen? Trust takes time. I don't expect a person to walk into a small group and be like, oh, we confess sin here. Cool. Let's do it. But you know what? If you can attend a church in a small group for 30 years and never actually deal with sin in your own heart, something's wrong. We got to be a people that it's safe for us to be able to say, you know what? I'm caught up in a sin. In Galatians, what does he say? He says, if any of you is overtaken by a sin, let those who are spiritual restore such a one gently. Gently. Let him take heed of himself, lest he be overcome as well. You see, we, we, this is a, a careful thing, and yet there is tremendous power in this. Because that is, what it, that is exposing it to the light. This confession is bringing it to the light. And what does Paul say? He says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. God will be in it, and I'm telling you, powerful things will happen. God's power will be on display, and you're not just going to be healed, but God's going to take that very thing like he did with Paul and now use it against the kingdom of darkness. Think about that. The thing that Satan wanted to destroy you with is going to end up being used against him, against his kingdom. But we can't do it on our own. And so as frightening as it is, 
we all have to get to a place in our mind where we're like, okay, that sin that I struggle with, I have to be willing to confess it to somebody. Again, not that you've got to get up and announce it to the entire church on Sunday morning. But is there a trusted, spiritually mature person that says the prayer of a righteous man, somebody that, that, that gets it, that they're going to show you grace and accountability at the same time, they, that their goal is going to show you grace to lead you to Jesus and then help you get away from it. That's their goal. They will pray, and he says what? The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Great power. This is where the power of God will show up. And so what do we do with this? Friends, it's time to wake up. And that's what Paul says here. It's time to wake up. He says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. he's saying he's saying Christ is ready he's ready to go he says I will my power my light my love my transforming spirit is all ready to go it's up to us to wake up to wake up come to our senses what does it mean to wake up how do we know if we're asleep because I'm going to tell you this right now all Christians like to think that they're awake Everybody in this room right now is like, oh, I'm awake. And we're not. Okay? We're not. We like to think we are. And so how do we know? Well, we all think we're awake, and then God does something, and it catches us so off guard that we say, how did I not see that before? That's how you know when you've been asleep. <laughs> when God does something, you're like, oh, wow. And then you're like, that was so obvious. Uh-oh. If it's this obvious now, but it wasn't obvious two days ago, something happened in those two days that I have awakened to the truth. And it's a sign that you were asleep. And so we have to ask God to wake us up sometimes. Now, waking up happens a couple of different ways. Okay, sometimes the journey to waking up is long and difficult, fraught with suffering. Sometimes that's just what it takes. Sometimes God just has to allow us to go to a low place and let us stay there for a while until we finally are like, okay, God, that's enough. I'm willing to take whatever responsibility I got to take, and I understand I did this to myself, and we wake up, and God starts moving. Other times, it comes through revelation and inspiration. Sometimes we wake up because God just painted such a beautiful and powerful picture of something that we're like, I want that. And we look around and go, I don't have that, and I want that, and I'm tired of all of this now because I've been settling, and I want something better. And it can happen both ways. And we never know how God's going to do it. Sometimes, many times, it's a mixture of both. That God allows us to kind of hit a low place, and then he reveals a truth to us, and we're like, oh, wow, it can be so much better. And so I want to very quickly share with you the story that you all know, but you need to be reminded of, and that is the story of the prodigal son. Because Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. If pig slop's looking good, you're in a low spot. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, what does that mean? He woke up. He woke up to the truth. He woke up to his position that was low, and he also, as we're going to read, woke up to the privileged position he left in what could be. He woke up to reality. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, I want you to imagine that trip home. How many times do you think he rehearsed this speech? The shame, the, the guilt, the I failed. I mean, just I failed. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I how? You know, I mean, in every step, he's getting closer. He starts to recognize the terrain. It's there, and he knows the speech is coming. I've got to make this speech. I've got to do it. And he's, he's ready. And so, and it says, and he arose and came to his father. While I was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, didn't even listen to him. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes and on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's what God, that's what it means when he says, wake up and Christ will shine on you. Have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't hide them, don't protect them, don't indulge in it. Bring it to God and find somebody, somebody to confess it to so it's not just hidden in your own heart. Confess to somebody. And watch what God does. You will be healed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. God, we thank you for the time together. And Lord, we pray, Lord, specifically, I just I pray for your power and your grace, Lord, in what we've been challenged to do, to confess our sins to one another, that we might pray for one another and be healed. God, I pray that pride, fear, Nothing would stand in the way of this, God, that we would trust you enough to do this. God, I pray this week, Lord, as as you work in our hearts and and we think about these things, God, that you, you direct our paths to those that are safe and mature, to those that will pray and lead, to those that can be trusted.
God, I pray for those who, who might hear confession. God, I pray for their heart that you would fill them with grace and wisdom. That they would truly represent you, Lord Jesus, in that moment and in the days following. That there would be no judgment, but God, that there would be prayer for healing, support, and love. God, I pray that chains are broken through this. And I pray it becomes apparent in our church and our congregation, God, that chains are being broken. Lives changed. That things are being made visible and that that is becoming light. I pray your light would shine brightly at Grace Family Fellowship. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray this together. Amen.